Good evening, church. You know you are a multicultural, multi-ethnic church when they have to put clap in uh, the instructions there. Amen. Uh, it is a joy to be together uh, this evening. Uh, it is my joy and privilege to uh, just expand God's word later on as we dig deep into this topic of black text. Uh, we don't have a Bible reading. Uh, we are going to read the Bible later on. We do believe in the Bible. So you're not hearing what David has to say, uh, but what God, God's word has to say. I'm going to pray for us uh, as we get to this, uh, into this topic, uh, because in many ways it's a topic that, uh, that can stir deep emotions, uh, but it is a topic... Uh, Nonetheless, that we need God to enlighten us uh, and to help us as we, as we get into. So please bow your heads as I lead us uh, in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your goodness. Uh, we thank you uh, that through the life of the church we see so many things. Uh, we get to share in sad moments. Um, we know of the pastoral team that went this afternoon to comfort those who were in need. Even as we prayed, Lord, we know that that is constantly the struggle that we, uh, we face. Uh, but we know, Lord, that in the midst of struggles, in the midst of the world that is broken, uh, there's also a taste of joy, uh, a taste of your goodness. And so we celebrate with uh, your servants uh, in this new journey uh, that they are embarking on. Uh, We pray that you'd be with them and for us to share in their joy. Uh, Even as we discuss a topic like a black text, we know, Lord, that there's many uh, things that are broken. uh, But we know also that you've called us as Christians into your world to be salt and light. We know that for many of us, you have equipped us. You have enabled us to be in this position where we have jobs, we can make money, and we know the challenges and responsibilities that come with it. Lord, we do pray um, that uh, as we meet tonight, uh, you just give us wisdom as we engage in this difficult uh, topic, that you give us both a sense of brokenness as you look at the state of our nation, the state of our world, uh, but also a sense of hope and just uh, uh, desire to serve you. Uh, so please be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so from Treasure Little Outlaws uh, interview, uh, you've already kind of had a sense of uh, what Black Text is, uh, is about. Uh, but I'm not going to assume that we are all on the same page, uh, so I'm still going to do the work of uh, trying to introduce this topic uh, for us. I'm not going to have the answers at the end of the talk, but I'm just going to present to us a different way of engaging with, um, with this topic, uh, a different way to, uh, to view, uh, view black text. Uh, I, in fact, asked a few guys on Tuesday what was their take on black text. I was, I was shocked that some younger generation Black children don't know what black text is. They just said, well, I don't know what that is, uh, which is, that's a good thing. Um, I was also surprised by Helen Lutz, for those who don't know our secretary, uh, Helen. Uh, she's white. When I asked her, what is black text? She said, uh, it's when you have to pay lots of money to take care of your family and extended family. I was like, wow, okay, here's somebody who, uh, who knows the context in which 
uh, we live in. Uh, Wikipedia says that black tax actually originated, this concept originated from South Africa. Uh, black, te black tax is a term that originated in South Africa for money that black workers, especially professionals um, and others with higher income than higher income give their parents, siblings, or other family members, often out of obligation or deeply ingrained sense of family uh, responsibility. So that is black tax. Uh, it is taking care of, paying lots of money uh, to take care of um, lots of people. Uh, black tax is uh, what I had to experience when uh, it was metric dance time. I knew that I wanted to go. I knew you had to get shoes from Spitz, I don't know if you know which specific shoes those are. Uh, they are Italian shoes. Uh, they cost a thousand rand. Uh, I wanted that and a suit. I asked this pretty girl out, um, and she said yes. Um, I wasn't actually serious when I asked that, but she said yes, because she was above, above my league. Um, but I came to realize that I can't go ask my mother for clothes. I can't put the burden on her uh, to buy me clothes. Even if they were cheap clothes, I knew that she was struggling to pay a thousand rand for school fees. That's not monthly, that's for the whole year. She couldn't come up with that cash. So black tax is bearing that responsibility to know, don't even bring it because it's going to put a burden on her. Black tax is, and this is a true story of one of our friends from varsity. Uh, as she was studying, uh, she lost both of her parents. Uh, needless to say that she had three younger brothers uh, who were now looking at her and calling her uh, to say, what, what are we going to do now? Uh, and she had to use her Nestor's money to help out at home. Um, all who knew her, those who knew her, said she was, she was depressed. Uh, the, her whole varsity life was rigged with, um, with uh, depression. Uh, black tax is what many young families strike, just bad heads around, uh, because why did you give your family 3,000 rand? Uh, we didn't agree on it, and you know that the situation is tough here in Joburg. Why send money back home? Um, just to say, uh, and this is our note here, that uh, we need to add into our premarital counseling uh, an addendum uh, on black tax, uh, because I, I do think that's a thing that, that should be discussed in that. So I'm putting it out there and putting the responsibility on me uh, to put that um, uh, that on our marriage counseling course. Uh, black text is that. It is the things that families fight over. Um, can you imagine marrying a spouse uh, not knowing that they, she carries the financial burden of her household uh, because her uncle who works at number eight shaft at Impala Platinum worked hard to take care to varsity, hoping that she will come back to take care of the family. Now you're starting to speak marriage after varsity, uh, the elders will come at you and say, uh, because they're not Christian, why are you rushing into this thing? Uh, just take care um, and just um, stay with her for five years. Or maybe if you're 40, then you can settle down. Uh, why rush into, 
into marriage. Uh, that is black text, right? As a Christian, you are grappling with those realities that I want to please God, I want to get married. That's going to tax me as well because I might have to pay lobola. But not only that, I'm going to have to embrace uh, the challenges and the financial burden, burdens uh, that come with uh, this marriage. Black text is that deep uh, sense of shame and guilt that Treasure spoke about. The financial responsibility that is unspoken, but you know is there. Nobody says you should pay it, but you know that you should help out uh, at home. That is just, I guess, being black. Um, Black tax is also not just family, but also on the streets. I'm also from a village, so whenever I go back home, uh, I pay toll, toll gates, I pay e-toll. Uh, every time I pass the street and walk uh, to the shop, uh, there'll be guys who greet you, excited to see you. Hey, Mutibedi, it's so good to see you. You haven't been home in a while. Um, which translates, just buy me a cold one there. Uh, that is uh, black text. This view that your success is our success. Uh, you can't just make it and not buy me uh, the cold one. We grew up together after all. Uh, it is that sense of responsibility. A guy called Nick Mklongo wrote uh, an orange book called Black Text, Burden, Burden or Ubuntu. He says that he uses more colorful language than uh, one would um, Say from the pulpit, black text is all the stuff that plunges us into depression and forces some of us to live a lie. It's not our parents' fault. They had it even worse. They fought and died and paid their fair share to get us to where we are. Most of them never even ask for things we offer them. Um, that's living the lie, uh, living uh, the lie of actually being able to afford what is needed at home. Meanwhile, you know that uh, things are tough. A black text is the anxiety you have before a job interview because your township school English might just humiliate you and cost you a career opportunity. That is the reality we live in, isn't it? Uh, black text is not just only financial, but emotional. Uh, so I hope uh, with all that said, you get a picture into, uh, into, into black text. Um, But the question is, why do we even talk about it? Why is it important to talk about it? What if I'm not even paying black tax? What if I grew up in a family here in Midland that doesn't expect me to pay? Um, Well, there's a couple of reasons why we need to engage with this topic. The first one is that God cares about people. Um, God cares about people. And here's the reality according to a study that Old Mutual did. Um, it says that this was done in 2018. More than 86% of black professionals in South Africa provide financial support to their families, while 25% support extended family members outside their immediate families. In other words, this means the people that God has put in South Africa right now, uh, the majority of people, uh, if eight of them, if you were to learn 10 of them, eight of them are probably in some ways paying black tax. God cares about uh, those people. Uh, God cares about those who are affected directly or indirectly 
uh, by a black text. God, when he calls us to love our neighbor, he calls us to know our neighbors and where uh, the world did, uh, that they come from. So that's the first, uh, the first reason why we talk about it. Uh, the other reason is, and I think this for me is the most important one, it is the issue that God cares about people who follow him. Uh, so God cares about Christians. And if you've crossed the line of faith, whether you pay black tax or not, uh, you'll discover that uh, God cares about you. He cares about uh, this key thing that we call discipleship. And discipleship simply means to follow Jesus, uh, to submit everything of who you are to Jesus. Uh, discipleship is crazy loyalty and commitment to Jesus. Um, uh, no jokes. Jokes aside, it is the Dr. Nandipa kind of commitment to Jesus. Um, that is the kind of commitment uh, that Jesus requires uh, of us. Uh, so that means Jesus requires lordship over every area of your life, uh, the people you engage with, the way you view and deal with money. Uh, God is calling you to be a follower of Jesus. And the thing about discipleship is that it happens in a context. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. Uh, you engage with real people. You are a real person, and God cares about uh, how you, you think. God put you in cereals economy in a poverty-stricken South Africa to be a Christian in that space. And he calls us to be salt and light wherever he's placed us. Uh, so because of that, we need to ourselves understand this world that he's uh, put us in. We need to understand that he made us Christians, not to just float around there, but to be Christians with extended families, uh, Christians with cousins who are struggling, Christians with employees who are struggling, Christians with fellow colleagues uh, who themselves are struggling, to know what it looks like to love our neighbor uh, like um, we love ourselves. Uh, so God cares about that. He cares about how we deal with people. Uh, James, in James chapter 1, which isn't really our text for tonight, uh, but you can turn there. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 22. This is what James says about living out your life as a disciple and your life as a Christian. If you've crossed the line of faith, this is what ought to embody or rather uh, mark your life. He says in chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not just hearers, uh, deceiving yourselves. Uh, he goes on to talk about a faith that gets to work. And then in chapter 2, verse 14, this is what he says. Uh, this is the kind of faith that, that uh, is lived out. Um, as one of our pastors used to say, doers of the word. This is what it looks like to be doers of the word. Uh, chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it? My brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So God cares about our actions. God cares about how we live out our faith. Uh, if we say we've trusted in Jesus, it is not by works, but it does translate into works, uh, into us caring about others. And that is often complicated, and we're going to see that in the next um, two weeks as we deal with this, uh, this topic. Uh, God cares about how 
we are disciples in relation to others, in relation to our money. Somebody asked, uh, I think it was a couple of months back, their grandmother was very sick, and I think they had run out of medical savings. And the question that they posed to us was, what should we do? Uh, We've pledged uh, our money to God, to Jesus, uh, to be giving, but there's a real need at home to take care of, to, to pay for hospital fees for our grandmother. Um, and embedded in that question, and as we are grappling with that question, it became very clear that the view, very often the view of money in relation to our faith is we tend to think as Christians that God is interested in your 10% that you give, that it is a godly thing to give a church, but not necessarily to take care of those who are in need. Um, so that, that is what I saw. And we're going to deal uh, with that um, and how you engage uh, with that. So the reason why we're looking at black text is because God cares. God cares about discipleship. Discipleship happens in a context, uh, a context uh, which we live in, a context where I think South Africa is just the most exciting place to be a Christian and to make a difference. It is good to be a Christian in South Africa. Amen. God has so many opportunities for us to live out our faith, whether you're black, white, Indian, colored, wherever you may find yourself. Uh, even Zimbabweans um, are welcome. To... <laughs> it's a jab at priv. If you are from Zim, uh, uh, I don't have any issues uh, with that. Um, so the big question that we are looking at this evening is black text. Is it a blessing or a burden? What is it? Is it something that we uh, embody as Christians as a, ble- as a burden, or is it a blessing? And as you can tell from also uh, Treasure Story, that's a complicated one. It is very complex to, to uh, be in one camp. Uh, and we're going to walk away with a, a, a way of viewing the world that is Christian that's going to help us with this question. Uh, is black text a burden or a blessing. And I just want to tell you two stories, uh, two stories that will show you the complexity of, of, this, uh, of answering this question. And the first story is a true story of somebody who I know. Um, I knew this guy in varsity. He's actually now done his PhD. I'm not sure if it's approved. On, he's in the finance field. He's done a presentation to SARS, to say that people should be compensated for black tax because it is actual um, contributing to society. So that's his PhD. I tried to get a hold of him uh, to share his story, but um, I couldn't, couldn't find him. If you want to check out his story, it's on, um, what is that network? African News Network or something like that. Uh, Google Busisani Sibia. Um, and this is the post that he posted at the start of the year, 2021. He had just bought his mom a Renault Quid. And now for many people, that's like, okay, that's, that's, that's nice, uh, Renault Quid. But there was a backstory to, uh, to it. Um, as a, an accountant, as a lecturer at the University of Johannesburg, uh, this man has been through struggle, but he has done well for himself. 
uh, he's doing well uh, for himself. Uh, and so as he posted on Facebook, he celebrated uh, the fact that he is now successful enough to buy his mother a car. And I'm going to read uh, the story. He says, this was on his Facebook post, you've worked as a cleaner earning 1200 a month, but still managed to put food on the table. You'd pick up food in dustbins of Uartambo and bring home for us to eat. You'd go sell sweets at a school to put food on the table. Sometimes you'd come home having sold only five rand worth of sweets, and you'd be so excited knowing, knowing we'd be able to buy bread that day. It is for this reason I always buy from people selling stuff in the streets and on traffic lights, even when I don't need the things they sell because I know what it means to them. One day I found you spring cleaning the whole house, trying to find two rand so that you could top up and buy a mealy meal. When you couldn't find it, you broke down into tears and said you wished you were dead. I went into my room and cried, knowing how you felt. This happened more than 15 years ago. But I remember it very well. You took a job cleaning snake cages despite of your fear for snakes just to put food on the table. To this day, you can't even stand seeing a snake on TV because of the trauma you suffered from that job. I am what I am. I am what I am today all because of you and I owe all my success to you. I could write a whole book on the sacrifices you made for us. When I went to university to study to be a CA, you didn't know what it was, and so you told people I'm studying to be a CEO. <laughs> Every time we talked about it, what we've been through, tears start running down my face. For all your sacrifices, thanks, Mom. I love you with all that I am. Happy New Year. Enjoy your starter pack. Uh, so this is the post that this man uh, puts up on, on, on Facebook. It, it's such an incredible story of sacrifice, an incredible story of how her mom, his mom, despite, I keep messing up pronouns, uh, that's because in Setswana there are no pronouns. Um, amen? So we don't have pr pronoun struggles, okay? I'm not trying to be progressive. Um, but it was such a moving, moving story. It's hard to read it, in fact, without choking up and, and crying. And not only did this mom sacrifice, but he taught this man how to uh, just trust God in the tough moments. And here's a man who's made it, uh, who in some ways people will say pays black tax uh, because he could be progressing, he could uh, baking, be making more investments, but he chose to buy this small car as a token of appreciation. So in our country, we live with those kind of realities uh, of people who've sacrificed for us, and that there's a sense of obligation, a sense of joy that you feel in not paying back, but rejoicing in where you are and saving others. Uh, so that's the one story, okay? So if you view black text from that angle, it is such a blessing uh, to give. It is a blessing. Uh, here's another story. Sean found this story online. And this is a story of the opposite, the burdensome nature of black text. This is what some people have to uh, live through. This is a thread. It says, guys, this is Maureen, the story of Maureen. Guys, I need to vent. The way 
things are, are bad. I'm even thinking of taking my own life so, I, so that I can rest. I have a younger sister who is 20, but already has two kids, and now is expecting the third one. My mom doesn't say, doesn't, doesn't say anything, but I'm expected to take care of them and to take care of everyone at home. I was paying for, my, for this girl's fees and accommodation at college while taking care of her two kids. Also, I'm still paying for my mom's car while having to buy them groceries every month. All the money I make goes to my family, and I'm left with nothing. I don't even have a car. I don't remember the last time I bought something for myself. Guys, I can't. This is just 10% of what I'm going through. Like, my family is toxic, all of them. My sister called me evil and even said that God will never give me kids because I threatened to stop paying for her fees. And where she fails, she says her kids are a blessing from God. My mom, Yena, she is in a competition with women who work. My older sister also demands things. And imagine I just got paid yesterday, yet right now I don't even have a cent under my name. From food, electricity, our geezer stopped working, and I had to buy a new one this month, pay crutch for those two kids' fees. Like I sat down and realized that, no, man, this is too much. Worse is that my relationships don't last because I'm always drained, and I don't even have time for myself. No one wants someone who is a baggage. Um, that's the reality for many of us. Um, many people who are helping out, doing their best to, uh, to not leave those who are struggling, yet at the same time there's a sense of um, obligation, there's a sense of entitlement that our families have uh, towards them. Uh, there's a sense in which people don't take up responsibility uh, for their own actions, and we have to fit the bill. Uh, that's the reality. Sometimes it's not only that. Sometimes it's also that there's a pressure for status in our country. Uh, so-and-so, so-and-so's son bought their mom a car. And they, never, they will never say, what are you doing? <laughs> They'll just leave it at that. Isn't it wonderful that the next door neighbor's son bought a car? Ish. The implication is... If only I had a son uh, who was, um, uh, who was um, like the next door neighbor. And we succumb under those, those pressures. Uh, and many, many of our people live, uh, live through those. Many of the, our colleagues, many of the people who are our neighbors live through those, uh, those pressures. Now that is black text. Is it a blessing or a burden? Uh, it is complicated, as you, as you can see. Um, as we think about this question, I want us to quickly explore three different worldviews, three different ways of looking at this topic. And the first one, if you're still paying attention, is the worldview called Ubuntu. The second one is a worldview called Ublungu. And then the third worldview, excuse my nguni, ubukrestu, bukrest, okay? Botu, bokhoa, bukrest. So ubuntu, ublungu, ubukrestu. So those are three different ways uh, that we can 
used to kind of view the world that we live in. And the re- part of the reason we need to think through those categories is that this applies to the way that we do ethics. So even if we're not talking about the issue of black text, we need to be always aware that we all have a worldview when it comes to ethics, when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to what Treasure was speaking about, where you feel a moral sense of obligation. There's a worldview that is embedded in there. Our rector often talks about rivers, uh, that there's two rivers that we drink from, uh, the river of Ubuntu and the river of um, Ublungu. And they often meet when you come to Jobek. And you don't realize that you drink from this river, especially as you think about how to live the Christian life. So the first one is Ubuntu. And I think the, 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 the key thing around that moral sense of obligation is that many of us grow up with the worldview of Ubuntu. Uh, in the worldview of Ubuntu, the key thing, the key philosophy is that you are who you are because of other people. So embedded in this worldview is that everybody, my society above everything. Uh, that is what you live for. That is what you cherish. Uh, and that is, uh, there's beauty in that. There's beauty in the fact that when I was in, in high school, when my mom couldn't cover uh, my clothes, my uncle went out there uh, to, when he was buying his son clothes, to also buy for me, because after all, I was his, his child. So there's a sense of responsibility there. There's a sense that he knew that his money wasn't just for him and his immediate family, but it was for all of us. Uh, it was um, for, uh, for the sake of others. And some authors that I read when it comes to this, one of them who's Nick Mthongo, uses the principle, and he argues that we should see black text mainly as a blessing uh, because it is a sense of Ubuntu. In fact, we shouldn't, he says, call it black text. We should call it family upliftment. Um, I'm going to read a quote from his book. He says, however, I have a problem with the term black text. For me, this gesture should be called family upliftment, and it should be traced to the place where the past, the present, the future of our Universe as a communal African people are tied together. An African person who tries to circumvent this communal life that we've inherited from our ancestors as family responsibility is like a tree without roots. So Nick says, Ubuntu all the way, this is our roots, this is what we've known. Uh, In fact, you should be glad and rejoicing in um, black text as a blessing. He goes on to say that the term black text remains fundamentally flawed. It is problematic. It is a problematic expression that needs to be interrogated before the, before the filthy smoke it emits starts to choke us. It doesn't give us a truthful foundation on which to base our family obligation, and it goes against the concept of Ubuntu. It is supposed to be something good, yet the term connotes something unethical, improper or evil. Ubuntu uh, is uh, the philosophy of uh, many who grew up in the rural area. Ubuntu, as my lecturer friend at the University of Pretoria, um, enlightened me, is that when it comes to Ubuntu, you never arrive at being a human uh, because you're always trying to act in human-like ways. Uh, So you can be a person 
but yet lack Ubuntu. Therefore, we can say, Chaumut, you're not a human because you don't behave in human-like ways. So you almost have to work for you to become a, a, a human. Uh, so you are placing your humanity and your sense of belonging, remember that, in other people. They're the ones who elevate you and honor you as a human. It is an honor-shame culture. You are shamed when you don't act as Umuntu. And you are honored if you act in ways like Umunt. And part of it is when you help out others, you are honored. Uh, and so that's the relationship in which uh, many people find themselves in. Now, this is beautiful, but it can become a burden, isn't it? Because you're always working. You never arrive at being uh, a human. So that's the one way of looking at it as um, Ubuntu, and then you have another version called Ublungu. And I came to realize this when I was reading a book by another lady called Ndumi Hadebe. She's recently written a book called How to Handle Black Text Like a Pro. And I was like, man, support black business. Let me buy, <laughs> let me buy this lady's book. Uh, well-written book. She's a self, um, what is it called? Self-leadership coach, Ndumi Hadebe. And her basic premise, when the other guy, Nick Mklongo, says it is not really a burden, it is a blessing, she says that it is primarily about setting boundaries. I was like, yeah, that's cool. We need boundaries. Uh, we need boundaries. We need to establish boundaries with uh, our cousins back home who call us for money, right? But as I read her book, I realized more and more that she's actually also employing another worldview, which is called Ublungu. And in that worldview, uh, Ublungu is uh, basically Western individualism. It's Eurocentric, uh, Eurocentric thinking. Um, and again, my friend helped me uh, think through this. When Ubuntu says everybody above, everyone else above everything, uh, Western Culture says self above anything. Um, and again, there's good things there. Uh, so this lady in Dumi Hadebe talks about self-care. Uh, she talks about how uh, certain people have mental illnesses because of the pressure and the burden of black text. And her take is that, uh, well, we need to just look out for number one uh, and set boundaries uh, in, in, in place. Uh, individualism uh, comes out of a culture, not just Western culture, but moving to the urban. You no longer live in the village. You no longer live uh, previously in Europe. You'd be Smith. Uh, that means you came from the family of guys who worked metal. That means you lived in a community where everybody knew you. With industrialization, people moved to the cities and had to just determine who they were and had to work hard um, for who they were, uh, to establish a sense of, I'm an individual. I'm not part of the Smith family. I am an individual. And with that comes uh, self at the center. Um, self, and again, self at the center is not bad. <laughs> when cousins call you to say, I'm actually trying to build a life here. I'm actually trying to serve my church. I'm actually trying to, um, to live a peaceful life with my wife. It is good to 
put boundaries uh, in place. Uh, but when we take both of those worldviews, they can become unhelpful. Okay, so Ubuntu in of itself can lay a burden on us of not becoming human, always feeling like I have to work to prove my honor. Ublungu, on the other hand, they, it, you, you are given intrinsic value as a human, but there's a treasure of progress, progress above anything. Very often that's where the issue lies, that you are a human being, we value you as a human, but you have to have a good job. You gotta have a good job. <laughs> and that's why in the urban setting, the question you'll be asked at the prize, what do you do for a living? Because in as much as you have a value as a human, you are who you are because of your job. As my lecturer friend said, you are who you are because of your job. So to these two worldviews, they're both beautiful things in them. It is helpful to learn from uh, this um, individualistic culture to set boundaries. We need that. Uh, it is good also to know that we live in a context where individualism is not always the case, where you'll need to serve others. It is good to also know that with saving others, sometimes there are burdens. Okay, so those are the two worldviews. You are who you are because of others. You are who you are because of the value that you bring and the progress that you can make. And very often, sometimes that progress can mean that you... Uh, you just look out for number one in times where the Bible calls you to sacrifice. So can you see how those uh, two worldviews can be found lacking? And that's why we need, uh, and as we end of our time together, say amen, we are about to end. Kate told me that there's load shedding at eight. Um, there was another preacher who just got on. Uh, we're not going to mention his name. <laughs> he just preaches until, until uh, we're like, ah, chief, uh, now you are texting us. Um, Ubu Christu. Somebody say Ubu Christu. That is the third and most empowering, freedom-giving, life-giving way of thinking about being a Christian uh, in South Africa. Uh, living with colleagues. Uh, some of you, you pay black tax even if you're not black. When the colleague says, Ish, transport man. <laughs> transport man. This is the Christian way of life. Uh, it takes a bit of those two cultures, and it gives us the better way, uh, the, the way of Christ. And at the heart of uh, Christian worldview is that you are who you are because of the love of Christ. So you begin from a place of belonging. Someone say, I belong. Begin ethic, doing ethics, knowing how to live as a Christian from a place of belonging. You are loved by the Father, and because you are loved by the Father, you are freed from the burdens of Ubuntu, and you are free. You are freed from the selfish, uh, self-centered way of of uh, uh, individualism. So each of those worldviews has their weaknesses, and Christ frees us to be Christians in our context uh, while being aware that those two worldviews are slippery. And for us to look at that um, ethic, the, the love ethic, um, we are going to turn to 1 Corinthians 
chapter 13, and it's going to be also on the screen up there. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, and this is Paul rebuking a church about uh, the way they were living uh, amongst uh, each other. Uh, And he was reminding them of the way of Christ, uh, the way that is much uh, more superior, the way um, that empowers us to live with each other. Uh, This is the way uh, of Christ. And I'm going to read for us verses 1 to verse 3. 1 Corinthians 13, you've heard it uh, being preached at weddings. It is not necessarily a wedding uh, sermon. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul establishes um, the way of being Christian uh, in a community that was filled with showing off, in a community that was filled with honor and shame. Uh, So you end your honor and you are shamed for perhaps not being, um, having certain gifts or being blessed in a certain way. Uh, Paul reminds them that they can do things that look like they are Christian, yet if they are not driven by love, uh, those things amount to to nothing. Uh, Those things amount to nothing. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, Paul says that the love of Christ compels us uh, because I'm convinced of this, that the one died, that is Christ, and he died for all, so that all who live now in him might die to themselves and live for him. In other words, Jesus dies for us, embraces us, brings us honor, brings us into his community, and because he loves us, we then live the Nandipa kind of faith of living and submitting everything at the feet of Jesus. Unless you are empowered by the love of Jesus, you cannot live the Christian life. Uh, You can do outward acts of giving towards others, but if you you don't have love, you are nothing. Have a look at verse 3. Paul, really, like, can you really say that? If I give away all I have, if you give all your cousins your money and you are left uh, at the end of the, the day with nothing, if I deliver up my very body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If you perform acts of service towards your neighbor, if you are driven by the sense of obligation because you are trying to gain your humanity, because that is what Ubuntu taught you, it will lead you to bitterness. And here's a test for you. When you give, like, are you cheerful in giving? Because the Bible calls us to be cheerful. And very often you will test this in your own heart. If you give to people and other people know about it, that is a, a measure of whether or not you have understood love. Okay? Jesus said to us, if you're give your brother something, your right hand should not, with your right hand, your left hand shouldn't even know. Um, One of the tests to know if you are driven by the love of Christ, that I I don't lack anybody's approval, I'm just going to give out of the overflow of Jesus loved me, so I have to love others. When that's the thing that empowers you, you find yourself telling less and less people 
that you are helping other cousin back home. That's the ethic of love. That is the ethic that empowers us to live the Christian life. Verse 4, and we are ending off. Uh, love is patient and kind, does not envy and does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. How many of us sometimes give, but we are resentful? It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. How many of us struggle to tell our cousins the truth? How many of us struggle to just lay down the law and say, truth be told, y'all need to sort out your stuff. You cannot be having babies and not being able to afford it. And we have to bear the pain of that. Love empowers us to tell our cousins, our families, the truth. It rejoices in that, telling the truth in love. Verse 7, love bears all, believes all, hopes all. Uh, The ethic of love reminds us of that, that we are who we are because of the love of Christ. It is that love that empowers us uh, to be able to sacrifice. It is that ethic that empowers us to know when it is enough, uh, when to take care of ourselves and say, I can't really do it uh, because I need to be wise in the way that I spend money. And to have those honest conversations, there are many Christians who feel crippled to have those honest conversations with their families. But the love of Christ frees us because there is no shame in this love. Uh, There is perfect freedom, there is perfect belonging uh, to step out and and say, well, I am sharing, I'm giving, not because I lack anything, uh, but because I'm overflowing. And in moments when I don't have, I can freely say, hey, I don't have anything. And be free in saying that. Uh, So this ethic, this third way, is what I would propose uh, is uh, the way that we ought to embrace as we engage with this topic of uh, black text. It frees us uh, to live for others sacrificially, but it also frees us uh, to take care of ourselves and to be wise in the way we engage with others. Amen. We're going to look at practical ways uh, to do that uh, in the next two weeks, uh, but let's keep in mind that ethic of love as a supreme way that we do not just black text, but as we approach life, we live from a place of love. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful. Uh, thankful that uh, you love us. Thankful that in you we have perfect freedom. Not to be driven by culture, not to be driven by the society's norms, but to be driven by your love. Lord, we thank you that you've called us into your culture. We thank you that we live in such a complex culture an infusion of both African and Western culture. And as those two meet, Lord, I pray that we uh, would be humble to just see the places from which we operate, Um, to be humble to repent when your word calls us to live differently, to be humble to celebrate when your word um, sheds light into the beauties of those cultures. 
So we thank you, Lord. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you call us to your context. We thank you for this opportunity you've given us to be Christians. That is, we step out into this week. Uh, we are able to have better conversations, engage with others, care for others, pray for them, uh, because your word has empowered us to do so. So please help us, even for the next coming weeks, uh, to be wise in our dealings, uh, to be sacrificial in our dealings, um, but most of all, to operate from a place of love and belonging. So we thank you for Jesus who enables us to do so. Uh, we thank you for Jesus who calls those who are not part of his fold to embrace this way of love and stop living with their culture as their king. And this we ask in Jesus' name and for our good. Amen.